Okay, well, we're in a series. Before I show you the, before I show you the title of the series, I'm going to give you a guess of what it is. Okay, here we go. Here's your guess. What's the title of the series? <laughs> Somebody said Star Wars. It's not Star Wars. It's Back to the Future. So we're talking about how important it is that we look back at our life and we allow God to heal things that happened in our past so that our future cannot be tainted by the hurt and the pain from what happened in our yesterdays. And God does not operate in time the same way we do. God operates outside of time. He created time. He is not bound by time. And so even though you and I age, he is ageless. Even though you and I change, he changes not. And so he can go back in time to something that happened in your life and he can heal your heart if you allow. I don't know if you've ever been part of um, um, inner healing. I know there's counseling and there's, you know, um, there's psychiatrists, but inner healing, that's basically what they do is they teach you how to pray God in the past, how to bring God into situations that happened in your life, allow him to heal your heart, touch your heart, mend whatever was broken so that everything changes for your future. So that's what we talked So last week we talked about condemnation and I gave you a big Greek lesson. So uh, I know a lot of y'all weren't here because of sickness and the weather. And so if you love Greek, just watch last Sunday's sermon. If you don't love Greek, watch last Sunday's sermon anyway, because that's how good it was. So we talk about condemnation and how no matter what you've done or what you're going to do, anytime you invite Jesus around, he only brings good news. He only brings good news. Never condemning news, only good. So listen to last Sunday's sermon. Okay, today in part two of our series, Back to the Future, I want to talk to you about injuries. Injuries. Um, no matter what age you are, no matter what religion, Christianity, or Hinduism, uh, Buddhist, no matter how much money you have in the bank, what color your skin, one thing we all face in life is we all face injuries. We all go through times of hurt. And there are, there are physical injuries that you can see, you know, if you've been in an accident or you got stitches or something like that. But there's also invisible injuries that nobody can see. At least we think they can't see it. But a lot of times because of these invisible injuries, the way we act and the way we treat people and things we do, it is obvious that there's some hurt going on inside of our heart. Invisible injuries are you got bullied at school when you were younger, or you got made fun of as a teenager, or you, you, know, you didn't get to be part of the group you wanted to be in. Invisible injuries are you went through a divorce or you lost a loved one, someone passed away early, or, or you were betrayed by a business partner. Those are invisible injuries that people cannot see. There's no way to go through life without being injured. Matthew 5.45 says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. That means no matter how much you love Jesus, no matter how much you pray, no matter how much you give, no matter how much you come to church, bad things will happen to you on earth because we live in a fallen world. There's no way to get around the injuries. So the question is, when we get injured and our injuries from the past, how do we handle it? If we can't escape it, if we can't run from it, what do we do when we face injury in life, okay? So I have three points for you today for your notes. And point number one is this, injuries hurt. Um, injuries hurt. It, it, it's obvious that injuries hurt. We know that. But sometimes the greater the uh, injury, the longer we stay hurt, uh, the longer we hold on to it. Now, there are five main demonic strongholds that are caused by hurt. And I'm really gonna, I wanna go over all five. The fifth one is the one we're really gonna talk about here in point number one. But there are five demons that will chase after you. There are five demons that have a right to um, be part of your life if you hold on to hurt the wrong way, if you allow the injury to last past the time it should. So uh, number one is this, um, insecurity. Um, insecurity is um, when you constantly need attention. 
you're constantly having to get affirmation. A lot of times you'll see people and they'll post so many pictures of themselves on social media and they're wearing barely anything. And the reason they're doing it is because they want people to affirm them. Most likely their, their parents growing up didn't give them any kind of confidence and they, they weren't raised right. They, 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 they lack any type of confidence. They're so insecure. They need everybody to tell them how pretty they are and how good they look. Insecurity. Uh, second demonic stronghold is a judgmental and critical attitude. Uh, they're, they're, they're racist, they're bigots, they're um, always gossiping about somebody. And you've heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. And so people like this, they've been hurt by somebody. So the way they get it out is to talk about everybody else. If they can make other people look in a negative light, it makes them feel better about themselves. The third demonic stronghold is independence. Uh, they think this, I don't need anybody. Me and my family, that's all we need. We don't need to join a church. We'll just sit back and spectate. We don't need any close friends. Um, if you're single, they'll think, you know what, I'm just going to sleep around all my life and just and never get married because I was married before and I got hurt in that marriage. So I'm never going to give my heart completely to anybody ever again. I don't ever want to face the hurt again. They've held on to that. So if you would let God go back and heal your heart from that divorce or that abuse or whatever happened, it would change the way you act in life. Now, number four is this easily offended. Easily offended. You have to walk on eggshells around people like this. They, they, they're holding on to the hurt. It's like when you've, when you've got a bruise and you're very sensitive to it. And there's triggers and you don't want anything to ever touch that bruise over and over again. And so um, it's just the hurt on the inside. The, the previous church hurt you, so now you're scared this church is going to hurt you. The previous relationship hurt you, so now you're scared the next relationship is going to hurt you. And the fifth one that I want to focus on right now is a victim mentality. A victim is somebody who uh, uses their hurt as an excuse for why they can't fill in the blank. That the reason we won't join the church is because, and it always has to do with something that happened in the past or hurt. The reason we won't step forward in life because we've been hurt. The reason we can't trust God in this area because we've been hurt. The reason we don't want to get married again is because we were hurt in the past. And they're using that hurt, they're using what happened as a reason for why they're not moving forward. That is a victim mentality. Um, several years ago, my son Zach and I were at a restaurant and we were you know, having dinner and there was a, a football game on the TV. And I don't care at all about what was going on, but to interact with him, I started asking him, I said, what's going on in the game here? And I think, if my memory serves right, I think it was um, a Steelers game because it was the, there was a quarterback who had Burger in his name. Uh, Roth Burger, so I just remember Burger. I was like, I like burgers, so I like him. And so uh, we watched the game and I said, Zach, what's going on? And Zach said, oh, the, the quarterback just broke his nose. And then I looked on the screen and this particular quarterback is, is going back in the game to play. And I said, son, 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 no there's, no, there's no way this guy broke his nose. It's impossible. You can't break your nose and then go play football. You're, I know what it's like to break a bone. <clears throat> I broke my pinky toe one time, the little one on the end that looks like a bowl of peanut. And uh, it was in so much pain. It was similar pain to like when a woman gives childbirth naturally. It was the same kind of... Okay, don't say that in second service. Don't, you idiot, don't say that. Okay, got it, okay. So I know what it's like to be in pain and break a bone. And I was like, Zach, there's no way this guy broke his nose and he's going to play. About that time, all of a sudden, the announcer comes on the TV and says, we're getting word that Roethlisberger has broken his nose, but he's going back in the game to play. I said, I can't believe he's doing And my son said something very, very profound. He said this. He said, he must really like the game. And I thought, you know what? We have to learn how to love life and love our destiny more than we love sitting on the sidelines and, and, and dealing with the, the bandages and the wound. You can be hurt and still play in the game. See, a lot of pastors, they'll tell you, you got to get over the hurt. You got to let the hurt go. No, the truth is you might be hurt the rest of your life. Some things happen to us in life we'll never forget. 
Some things, when we go back to it, the hurt's still there. It's okay to be hurt, okay? It's not okay to sit on the sidelines and watch everybody else fulfilling their destiny and moving on with their life, and you're allowing this victim mentality to hold you back. Isaiah 14, 27 says, what God has purposed, who can annul? That's a great question. The only person in the universe that can annul what God has purposed in your life is you. Uh, Nobody else has that kind of power over you. They can abuse you, they can talk about you, they can gossip about you, they can pick on you, they can make fun of you, but nobody can force you to be a victim. It is a choice to use the pain from the past as a reason for why you can't go forward in life. No one has that power power over you unless you give it to them. And that's what a victim does. So um, the the Israelites, they were in slavery for, for 10 generations. 10 generations, that's all they ever saw. And so finally, God frees them after 430 years. You'd think now that they're free from slavery, that they would be willing to get in the game. If God said, go for a pass, you'd think they'd go for a pass. If God said, we're going to kick the ball, you'd think they'd ready to kick the ball. But every time God tried to get them to gain some yardage in life and step out in faith, they always said the same thing. Numbers 14.4, just take us back to Egypt. And I actually counted, I could be wrong, but I counted 10 times God tried to get them to go forward, and 10 times they said, you know what, we're so used to being a victim. We've been around, we've been hurt for so long, we're so used to the pain and the suffering. That's what's normal to us. Just send us back there. We're happier on the sidelines. We're, we're, gee, God, don't you know, God, we've been through pain, we've been through agony, and God's thinking this. Of course I know, I've been watching. It's okay to be hurt. Just go forward. Go forward. Even that's how the healing will come if you'll start going forward. You can't wait till you feel it. You do it in faith. And so they, they wouldn't go for it. And God knows that victims never make it to the promised land. Never make it to the promised land. What's interesting is whenever God freed them, um, he, he like put the Egyptians in a, in a trance or like a, um, uh, like a zombie kind of thing. And, and you know, when if their slaves were leaving, you think they'd be killing the slaves. But somehow God did something to the Egyptians as their slaves are leaving. The Egyptians are taking all of their gold and jewels and silver and clothes and just giving it to these people. Exodus 3.21 says this, I'll grant my people favor with the Egyptians so when you leave, they'll give you possessions that you've worked for for all these years. Now watch this. You shall put the gold, silver, and fine clothes on your sons and daughters. That was so unusual to me. Why did God do that? Because he didn't want the children to see themselves in the same victim light that the parents saw themselves in. Uh, he didn't want, he, God knows, if they're ever going to make it to the promised land, they can no longer um, use this pain as an excuse for why they can't go forward. Can you imagine this mother um, taking this old raggedy dress with holes in it? This girl's been wearing for years the same outfit, and she takes the most finest, beautiful dress and, and, and covers her daughter with it. You know, Egypt was the number one place. Egypt was Rodeo Drive. Like, that was the number one place in the world at that time. Can you imagine a father wiping the dirt off of his son and putting a gold chain around his neck? For the first time in their life, these kids didn't see themselves as slaves. They saw themselves as prosperous, as victorious. Do you know the children are the ones who made it in the promised land? The parents all died. Because the parents had an excuse. We've been through so much hurt. We've been through so much pain. We just can't go forward. And the kids are thinking this. We've been through pain too. But for the first time, they're seeing themselves. Some of y'all need to go out and buy some new clothes today. And start seeing. And that's a word from God for all you men. Got to buy your wife some new clothes. And and from Goodwill. Go to Goodwill and get you something good. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But you need to learn that. You you don't need to see yourself in that negative. Don't, Don't look in the mirror and see yourself as the person that's been abused. 
is the person that's been through a divorce, is the person that lost all their money in a bad business deal. You've got to see yourself the way God sees you. Romans 8, 37, we are more than conquerors and victorious through Christ. Through Christ. You are not victims anymore. Um, I read about this lady who was in California, and she was riding her mountain bike on a trail to State Park. And as she was going down, out the corner of her eye, she thought she saw a deer, but she actually saw a mountain lion. And it jumped out of the woods. It knocked her off of her bike. It bit her all up. The story says this. Um, uh, they, they bit, the thing bit her 40 times all across her body and dragged her body down to a ravine where she passed out. Somehow somebody must have seen what happened and called an ambulance. She woke up in a hospital. She had to have 200 staples just to hold her skin together and six surgeries to repair the damage. And her face was unrecognizable. All the newspapers, all her friends, the local media, they all called her the woman who was the victim of the mountain lion. And in a sense, that's true. She was a victim of mountain lion. But it's not healthy to see yourself in that kind of light. Here's why victims allow their injury to become their identity. You know, I'll be transparent with you. You know, our goal is to always move you forward in church. That's our goal is to always move you closer to Jesus, step out in faith every year. You can't be the same person. We want, we want growth. We want you to grow, do more for God, serve more. And so when, when some of you get stuck or, you, you, you know, you come to church for years and don't join the church or, or you're not willing to serve or, or step out in faith and use your gifts or whatever the case is, I'll always ask our administrative pastor, I'll say this, what happened to them? Because there's a reason. There's something that they're holding on to that's preventing them from something happened in their past. And our administrative pastor knows everything about everybody. Even if you don't know it about yourself, she'll find out about you before you even find out about it. I'll say, what happened? And it helps me with my sermons because I want to know what we go through in life. But it also helps me when I encourage you on the sidelines and say, listen, don't let this divorce stop you. Don't let this addiction, we, we, don't let this addiction that you're facing, people think, well, after I get over this addiction, I'll serve God. You serve God while you're going through the addiction. If you serve, maybe, he'll, maybe he'll clean it out of your life after you start serving him. <clears throat> so victims allow their identity to become, they allow their injury to become their identity. This mountain lion, the, the lady that got attacked by the mountain lion, as soon as she got out of the hospital, she asked all of her friends, take me back to that trail. I want to walk all through. They said, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to go back to the place where you were so viciously attacked? And here was her words, and I'll quote it out of the newspaper. She said, I'm not going to be a prisoner of all this drama. She was saying, I'm not going to be a victim. This injury hurt. Of course it hurt. But it's not going to ruin the rest of my life. Today she's happy, healthy, and she's moving forward. Listen, some injuries, they last forever. I'm going to be honest with you. Some injuries last forever. I've been studying human nature for the past 15, 20 years and I love studying the way you and I think and feel and what we do. And I think I've discovered the greatest pain that any human being can go through. It is not being tortured to death, um, you know, any of that stuff. The greatest pain I believe that any human being can go through is losing a child. Is having a child pass away before you. I believe that's probably the greatest pain that I've ever seen in anybody. There was this couple um, in the neighborhood where we lived growing up. And they were known as the couple who lost a child. They let their injury become their identity. And here's why they were known by that. That's all they talked about. If you greet them within three minutes of the conversation, they would say, well, 20-something years ago, we lost a child. Here's how it happened. Here's the events of that night. We went over to their house one time for dinner, and they had a beautiful grand piano in the living room. They didn't tell us about that. 
They had some antiques. You can see that they collected over in the down. They didn't tell us about it. The first thing they did was walk us upstairs and say, here's our child's bedroom. Hasn't been touched in 20 years. We don't let anybody go in there. And I'm all for keeping pictures of loved ones and having little you know, parts of the house where, 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 where you remember the good things. But don't let a whole room in your house go to something that brings depression in your life on a regular basis. Um, another couple that I know has lost a child, and there's been several in our church, but Alyssa Barry. And um, Alyssa actually held her son in her arms as he passed away. Okay? Let me tell you the difference between Alyssa and Barry and this other couple. Alyssa and Barry, they're part of a church. They serve God. They go to work. They help other people. They make angels for people that are sick and in the hospital. And they have a child that's passed away before. Can you imagine? They're still hurting. Of course they're still hurting. But they didn't let it keep them from going forward in life. They didn't become victims. Now, the, the, the thing that's the same about these couples is they're both still in pain. The thing that's different is one got stuck 20-something years ago and hasn't budged. The other's making it to their promised land. Don't allow the hurt to cause you to be a victim in life. Point number two is this. Injuries heal. Injuries heal. Now, I want to kind of put a twist on this, so stay with me. Psalms 147.3 says, The Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And this is also in Luke 4.18. The New Testament passage is Luke 4.18. Um, you see the word brokenhearted up here, right? Okay, of course, Psalms is in Hebrew, um, but Luke 4.18 is in Greek originally. And I know how much you love Greek because I've just been hearing from you all week. We love Greek, we love Greek. And so um, the Greek word for brokenhearted is this. The heart part is cardia. Obviously, that's where we get cardiologists and you know so forth. And so the, the broken part is suntribo. And here's what it means. To shatter into pieces that are unrecoverable. Have you ever had your heart shattered into pieces that you think are completely unrecoverable. Here's the good news. The Lord heals those type of hearts. The Lord heals a heart that's been shattered into so many pieces you think it's unrecoverable. Let me tell you a story and then I'm going to make a point about this. Um, I'm the oldest of three siblings, and so I was always left to kind of watch my brother and sister, you know, when my parents would go out and I'd, I'd stay home with them. And I was so kind and loving to my siblings, uh, especially my brother. I would say, Patrick, if you want to be cool like me, you got to let me put you in this basket and push you down the stairway. And so we would do stuff like that. It was so fun for me. And so um, one time I was pushing Patrick down the stairway in this basket and his head hit, you know, there's, there's these banisters, there's these things that hold the banister on the stairway, these pegs or whatever. And his head hit one of the pegs and the peg falls off the band off the stairway and it knocks over my dad's lamp. It was like this expensive crystal lamp. It was right at the front door. It was like an episode of, you know, of, a Brady Bunch or something. So we get the glue and we're going to glue back this lamp. And, you know, before they get home, we glued back the lamp. We put it on there. And my parents never knew. They, ne they never knew. However, if they had just looked close enough, even though it's been put back together after it was shattered, you could easily tell by all the marks in it that it's been broken. Okay. Some injuries that we face in life are healed and it's unrecognized. You don't even know it's there. It's like it never even happened. But there are some injuries that are so severe in life, they leave a scar. And a scar should not depress you. A scar should remind you that God intervened in your life. And if not for the scar, you'd still be on the sidelines bleeding half to death. 
the scar shows that God was part of what happened, that it's actually part of your destiny. Um, my friend um, Daniel, he's a, my trainer, and I see him every day, great guy. Here's a picture of him up here. And he got in an accident a few years ago. On the left is the past. He, he was riding his motorcycle, and a car not only hit him, but the car ran over his face. And he was left on the side of the road. The drunk driver just took off and left. Finally, somebody called an ambulance, and they, they got him to the hospital. And he was in the hospital for months. He could not. He had to relearn how to walk, relearn how to talk. He couldn't. His jaw was wired shut for six months. He had to relearn how to eat. I mean, his whole life changed. He has these two huge scars on the side of his face where hair doesn't even grow. I think they look cool. It looks like he got in a fight with Wolverine or something from X-Men <laughs> and won. But he wears his scars so well. If you ask him about it, he won't say, oh, poor old me, I got an accident. My life changed after that. I couldn't work out anymore. I couldn't pursue my passions. No, that scar motivated him. All these people that told him he wouldn't walk again, he'd never be healthy again. He's like, forget that. I'm going to step out and do what I was always meant to do. He continued to work out. He continues to pursue his passion. And that's him in the future. That's him now on the right. He didn't let the scars hold him back. My son Asher has a scar, and there's a picture of him. When he was three months old, he had surgery underneath his spinal, underneath his brain and his spinal cord, and he was so little, when he got done, the, the scar was just like an inch, maybe an inch and a half. He's grown so big and strong now, the scar's like six and a half, seven inches, because it's stretched, you know, with his body. But when I rub the back of his neck, I don't think about all the pain. I don't think about the horror of being at MUSC and them telling me my child's gonna die. I think this, God still heals. God still has a plan for my son, or he'd already be in heaven. There's still something God wants Asher to do in life. Even our self-inflicted wounds should remind us of the grace of God. Maybe God wants to heal you with a scar. Maybe he wants your scar to stand out so it can prove to everybody else that God still has a plan for your life. Jacob in the Old Testament had a lot of self-inflicted injuries. Um, his name meant at the time trickster, schemer, swindler, and that's all he did. He was such a liar, a cheat. He lied to his dad when his dad is on his deathbed just to steal something from his family. He, um, his brother was dying, and instead of helping his brother, he stole everything his brother had just to give him a little bit of food. He tried to bribe people. to like, this is, all, this is how he lived his life. I don't even think he knew he was doing it. It was just the norm for him to be this type of person. Well, the funny thing is, is that God told him specifically, Jacob, you're going to do amazing things for me one day. You're going to be a great leader. You're going to touch nations. The whole world will be changed by you. But up until this point, none of that happened. I believe it's because he never took ownership for what was going on. It was always somebody else's fault. Well, my parents, they loved Esau, my brother, more than they loved me. Or th this person hurt me in the past. But finally, Jacob decides to take ownership, to take responsibility. And so in Genesis 32, verse 24, it says, Jacob sent everybody away by the brook. He was left alone. And it says the angel. Now, anytime angel is capitalized in the Old Testament, it's Jesus. Or if it says the angel of the Lord, or if it says the man. If the word man is capitalized in the Old Testament, it's Jesus. So Jesus shows up here, and he wrestles with Jacob until daybreak. The angel touched his hip joint, and Jacob's hip was dislocated. And Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And the angel said this, what is your name? And for the first time in Jacob's life, he, he put aside all the excuses, all the problems from the past, and he recognized my problems are me. They're not my parents. They're not my siblings. They're not my boss. They're not the president. My problems are me. And it says he, in, in the shock, in, in shock of realization, he whispered, oh, I'm a schemer. 
I'm, a, I'm, I'm Jacob. And the angel said, your name will no longer be Jacob. You took responsibility. You took ownership. Your new name is Israel, Prince of God. And the angel blessed Jacob. And Jacob left with a limp because of his thigh. Here's what I want to teach you today. You can have a limp and still be blessed. You can actually be more blessed with a limp than you were before you had the limp. You can have a scar and still be successful. You can go through a divorce and still fulfill, fulfill your destiny. And don't ever hide your scars from church. This is a place where people with scars should come. This is a place where people with injuries should show up. The church is not a museum to display perfect people. The church is a hospital to heal the injured. So don't ever think you need to hide that when you come here. Don't let the injury stop you. The injury is part of your story. It's part of your destiny. It's part of God had you go through that so he could prove he's real in your life. Um, I read about this father. He was an alcoholic and he was raising two small twin boys. The mom was a drug addict and she left. And the father, he would get drunk every other night and beat his two boys half to death. I mean, black and blue, bloody. He would curse them out. He'd say the most horrible things to these two kids. When they got older, when they became teenagers, they ran away and left home, never to return, never to see this father ever again. One of the twin sons became an alcoholic. He partied every night, drunk, got drunk on a regular basis, never did anything productive in life. One day somebody said to him, why do you drink so much? And here's what he said, because my father was an alcoholic, I had a horrible childhood, what do you expect? The other twin son grew up and he went to college. He became successful. He, he began to run this huge corporation. He had a great family. He joined a church. He served God. One night at dinner with all of his colleagues, they noticed after years that he never touched alcohol ever. They said to him, how come you never drink? And here's what he said. Because my father was an alcoholic. I had a horrible childhood. What do you expect? They had the exact same injury. They both went through the exact same thing in life. One allowed the injury to cause him to be a victim. He got stuck for the rest of his life. The other son allowed the injury to be, I'm not, I'm not going to stay. I'm going to let this motivate me to go. I'm not going to fall in the same trap as my father. I'm going to get over this. I'm not going to let this be part of my destiny, my life. This scar proves why I am not in that place anymore and I'm going forward. Which son are you? Which son are you going to allow what happened in the past to keep you from stepping forward in life? Point number three is this, injuries help. And I'm sure you're thinking, how in the world can the injury help somebody? Well, there's one man I know that had more injuries than all of us put together. His name is Jesus Christ. He had more injuries than anyone in this room. He was betrayed by his friends. A crown of thorns was shoved into his head. His back was scourged to the skin came off of his back. He was nailed to a cross on his hands and his feet. A spear was put into his side. And Isaiah 53, 5 says he was wounded for our sins. He was bruised for our evil. Our punishment was upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. We worship a savior who was injured for you and me. Um, the funny thing is, is when Jesus rose from the dead, this is something interesting to me. He rises from the dead. He has a resurrected body. He's given a heavenly body, a body that can fly. He ascended into heaven in his, in his heavenly body. He walked through a wall in his heavenly body. God made his body perfect, but God chose to keep the scars. 
God chose to keep the scars on his hands and on his side. Isn't that amazing to me? Someone, one, one night, all the disciples, they were in a locked room. You know, they were scared of the Jews coming in and doing things. And so while they're in the locked room, before Jesus comes through the walls, one of the disciples says this. Thomas said, unless I see the injury, unless I, out of everything I want to see in this guy, I want to see where he was hurt. I want to see where, where the nails went into his hands. I want to touch the scar from the spear in his side. If I don't see that, I'm never going to believe. And Jesus came through the locked doors, and the first thing he said was, Thomas, put your hand on the wound on my side. See the nail prints in my hands and believe. Maybe somebody needs your scars to help them believe. Maybe somebody needs to know your testimony and your story to know if you could go through this accident and still get strong, then I can be strong. If you can go through this divorce and still be happy, I can be happy. If you can lose a child and still serve God, maybe that I can serve God as well. When they, have, oh, we, when they need to see this. They need to know about it. Nobody fulfills their destiny without injuries. It's just a part of life. Um, back in 2015, I went through a you know, horrible time in life. They're all self-inflicted wounds. Uh, I lost my family, my, 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 my marriage. I went through a divorce. I lost my church, lost all my friends. And I stepped away from ministry. And then um, through a series of events and, and, and God speaking through people, in 2016, I came back and I started Solid Rock at Market Common. And um, God began to send me new friends, better friends. And God began to start the restoration process in my life. And my kids are doing great and on and on. When that same time in 2015, another pastor friend of mine here in Myrtle Beach was going through a horrible time. Uh, he was pastoring one of my mentors, 20 years older than me. He was pastoring the largest denominational church um, in Myrtle Beach at that time, 2015. And um, some guys on the board, some elders, they told him, you know, they wanted him to publicize um, a politician, this particular part from the pulpit. And he said, I'm not that kind of pastor. I'm not going to bring politics into the church. I'm not going to say anything. That's not what the pulpit's for. They said, if you don't start, you know, telling everybody to vote for this guy, uh, we're going to fire you and you're never going to preach. You're never going to be part of this denomination ever again. And um, I don't know what happened. There was some blackmail going on. There were some mental things happening with my friend. And long story short, he was on the side of the road on the bypass, and he had filled his car up with gasoline all on the inside. He, he soaked himself with gasoline, and he was about to light himself on fire and kill himself right in the middle of, of Myrtle Beach. Um, as he was on the side of the road about to start, some couple from the church, they were driving by and saw his car. They thought, oh, he broke down. So they pulled on the side of the road. And immediately they figured out what was going on, just the way he was, you know, uh, responding and talking. And they dragged him out of the car. They saved his life. He went to a hospital for several months, like a mental facility. And um, he lost his church and everything. And so in 2016, when God started to restore things in my life, I texted my buddy. I said, hey, can I take you out to lunch? And I thought, he doesn't want to go to lunch with me. I worked for him. You know, I'm 20 years younger. I don't know. Him. And he immediately said, yes, I'd love to. When can we meet? So we went over here to K&W, and on that first meeting, I didn't say a word because I didn't know what to say. I just listened. I didn't say a thing. I just listened. We got done with lunch. We're walking out, and I thought, John Paul, you're such a failure. You should have encouraged him. You, you didn't say anything. You just sat there and listened. I thought, he's never going to want to talk to me again. And before I could get in my car, he had already texted me, can we do it again next week? I thought, okay, I'll meet him next week. For the next six months, we met every single week. Well, the second meeting we had, we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, I felt like God told me, in a sense, show him your scar. You know, tell him your story. I thought, God, this is the one pastor in town that doesn't know my story. I don't know if I want to tell my story. God said, tell him. Your I said, God, I'm not fully healed. 
God said, this is part of the healing process. You got to share your story. So I said, well, let me tell you what's been going on with me. And I told him my whole story. You know, his jaw dropped. And I said, but I'm preaching again. And God's sending people to my church. And people are getting saved. And I'll never forget his face lit up when he said this to me. You're preaching again? I said, yeah. He said, do you think I'll ever preach again? I said, man, if I, what I went through and I'm preaching, but I know, I know you'll be back behind the pulpit. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. We met every week for six months. After six months, this denomination hired him back to pastor a very, very large church in North Carolina. He moved. His life's doing great. His family's doing great. He's mentally healthy. He's healed. He's restored and everything. And here's why. I showed him my scar. I didn't hide it. I was still bleeding a little bit, but I told him my story. Last, last point, I'll, I'll let you go after this. John 5, 5. It says, there was a sick man lying by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. Now, th this pool was a place where an angel would come unannounced, and, and the first person in the water would be healed. So basically, for 38 years, he's laying on the ground uh, with the sick people all around. I mean, nothing but lame, paralyzed blind, deaf, sick people, okay? Jesus shows up in verse eight and says this, get up, pick up your mat and walk. You see where it says, pick up your mat and walk. I wanna make a point about that. Then it says, instantly the man was healed and he picked up his mat and walked. And just to make sure I get my point across, the Jews were really upset because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. They were also upset because of this, verse 10, the Jews said it's unlawful to carry your mat on the Sabbath. Okay, so this guy's 38 years. 38 years he's laying on this same mat. You talk about bed bugs and nastiness, probably urine stains on there, holes on that thing. It's out in the elements. He can barely get up to move, and he's laying on this mat for 38 years. And Jesus did not say, now that you're healed, take that mat and throw it in the dump and walk. Jesus said this, you take it with you. I want you to take this mat. Why would Jesus say that? Here's why. The mat was his testimony. Everywhere he went, people probably said, why are you carrying around that ugly mat? And he'd say this, this mat isn't ugly. It's beautiful. Let me tell you what this mat represents in my life. I was laying down dead for 38 years. Nothing good was happening. And Jesus came through, and this mat proves it. This mat shows that I couldn't do anything until God came in my life. Look at this beautiful mat. Look what it means to me. Listen, even if you have to go forward with a limp, go forward. Don't stay on the side. Your, your nose may be broke. Get back in the game. The mountain lion may have attacked you in life. Don't let it stop. Do not become a victim. My last word is this. Victims cannot enter their promised land. Get rid of your excuse. Take a step forward, even if you're limping, and watch God use your injury to help other people believe. Amen. 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 Okay.